0: What's up, y'all? It is Ryan. Hey, I'm back with another podcast. Today, we're gonna be talking about the gospel and specifically what Jesus says about the gospel. And so today, we're gonna dive into his beauty and his readiness. I'll explain all that in a second, but let's pray. Jesus, I so thank you for today. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would open our eyes. Give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. God, that we would know you more profoundly than we ever have before. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would awaken us to love Jesus better. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would open up your scripture to us. God, that we would know you more fully. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So today, we're going to be talking about Song of Solomon. I know, kind of out of left field, why in the world are you going to Song of Solomon? Well, Song of Solomon 5 is a beautiful chapter. Um, I don't have time to go through the entire thing, but there is a verse that has struck my heart in such a real and profound way to look at Jesus A little differently. And I'm not saying anything different than what I've said before, but you'll see what I mean when we go through this. So uh, in chapter 5, there's the Shulamite and then there's Solomon. And so the Shulamite is uh, relaxing at home. She is uh, taking a bath and Solomon comes by and in her own words awakens her desire for him and so she gets dressed she goes out into the streets and he's gone and so she goes out and finds these men that are walking around in the streets and she's like have you seen my beloved and so they ask her it might actually be women I'm not sure but uh that she goes to but They say, why is your lover better than all others? A woman of rare beauty. What makes your lover so special that we must promise this? Now, I have to make this caveat. Song of Solomon throughout the ages has been a book of both uh, practical love, like uh, marriage, marital love between a, a husband and a, and a wife and as well a allegory for Christ and the church uh, the Jewish rabbis have seen this as uh, God and Israel and so now as you know being grafted in we are the church we are Israel and so this is God pursuing us and so we can, we can see ourselves as the Shulamite saying this to the world around us. You know, what makes God, what makes Jesus so much better than all the others? What makes your Jesus so special that we must promise that we'll find him? And her answer in the next verse, Song of Solomon 5.10, is what we're gonna dig into today. There are two words in this verse that we are gonna dive into. She says, My beloved is dazzling and ruddy, chief among 10,000. What in the world does this verse mean? (laughs) So, my beloved is dazzling and ruddy, outstanding among 10,000. Now I have to say this, outstanding among 10,000 or chiefest among 10,000 Spurgeon actually said that there is no word for chiefest it's the only word that could describe the magnificence of Jesus and so he is magnificent above every other what are the others whatever you can put in there it doesn't matter he is better than 10,000 preachers he is better than 10,000 times in his presence he is better than uh 10,000 whatevers you want to put in there. Whatever worldly passion or desire or uh, sinful pleasure you want to put in there, he's better than it all. So let's look at the first word. The first word is dazzling. Now, what does this word mean? Dazzling means brightness extreme. It means to be completely dazed by light. You know, when you look at the sun... You cannot look away from it and not have spots in your eyes. You were just dazed by the sun. You can't see anything else but those spots. That is what Jesus does. He is dazzling and brightness extreme. In 1 John 1.5, it says that God is light. In him, there is absolutely no darkness at all. He has... No darkness at all. He was completely pure. He dwells in light unapproachable and wraps himself in a robe of light. He is brightness itself, and when we look at him, nothing else matters anymore, just like if we look at the sun. He is described as an all-consuming fire. In fact, every time God is described, he is said to be fiery in his appearance. Now, You know, some people would say, oh, but these are just pictures of what God is. No, God is described as light. So he is dazzling. When we we look at him, when we look at his attributes, everything about him is altogether lovely. He is dazzling. I'll go even further. He is God almighty. He is the king of all glory. He is all-powerful. He breathed creation into being. He encompasses all of time and eternity. He holds the stars in the palm of his hands. He uses the earth as his footstool. Now, I want to flip over to Isaiah 40. This This will clinch even more of who our God is. He says in verse Isaiah 40 verse 12, who else has held the oceans in his hand? Who has measured off the heavens with his fingers? Who else knows the weight of the earth or has weighed the mountains and hills on a scale? Who is able to advise the spirit of the Lord? Who knows enough to give him advice or teach him? Has the Lord ever needed anyone's advice? No. Does he need instruction about what is good? No. Did someone teach him what is right or show him the path of justice? No, he is all those things. No, for all the nations of the world are but a drop in the bucket. They are nothing more than dust on the scales. He picks up the earth as though it were a grain of sand. All the wood in Lebanon's forests and all Lebanon's animals would not be enough to make a burnt offering worthy of our God. The nations of the world are worth nothing to him. In his eyes, they count for less than nothing. To whom can you compare God? What image can you find to resemble him? Can he be compared to an idol formed in a mold, overlaid with gold and decorated with silver chains? Or if people are too poor for that, they might at least choose wood that won't decay and skilled craftsmen to carve an image that won't fall down. Haven't you heard? Don't you understand? Are you deaf to the words of God? The words he gave before the world began? God sits above the circle of the earth. The people below him seem like grasshoppers to him. He spreads out the heavens like a curtain and makes his tent from them. He judges the great people of the world and brings them all to nothing. They hardly get started, barely taking root when he blows on them and they wither. The wind carries them off like chaff. Look up into the heavens, Who created all the stars? He brings them out like an army, one after another, calling each by its name. Because of his great power and incomparable strength, not a single star is missing. Oh, Jacob, how can you say the Lord does not see your troubles? And then he just keeps going. Like, this is our God. He wraps himself in light. He is all powerful. He holds everything in the palm of his hand. And ever since the creation of the world, this, this is who God is. It says in Exodus 34, 6, He is gracious and he is merciful. He is slow to anger and abounding in unfailing love and faithfulness. He is a mighty warrior and he shines because he is light. And in him, there is absolutely no darkness at all. Roman or Revelation 1.13, it says, And in the middle of the lampstands I saw one like a son of man, clothed in a robe, reaching to the feet, and girded across his chest with a golden sash. His head and his hair were white like wool, like snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. See, there's that fire again. His feet were like burnished bronze. That is fire too. When it has been made to glow in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters in his right hand he held seven stars and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword and his face was like the sun shining in its strength and then john says when i saw him i fell at his feet as though dead crazy crazy that this amazing god god jesus is beautiful No matter how you slice him, no matter how you look at him, he is beautiful. Yahweh, our Savior, is beautiful. So that's dazzling. When she says he's dazzling, that is what she is saying. He is brightness extreme. He dazzles my heart. He dazes my sight. I can't see anything but him. Then she says, and ruddy. Now, this word ruddy in the Hebrew literally means red. Now, think with me here. What is red in the human body? Blood. The one who is brightness extreme came down into the creation he made and took on a body that functions by blood. He took off his robe of light and and glory and beauty. He took it off and came down into the frailty and restrictions of a human body. Why? Because sin separated him from you and me. And he couldn't stand to be away from us. So he allowed his creation to beat the blood out of him to win us back. That is the gospel. That is the gospel, guys. He who knew no sin became our sin so that we might become the righteousness of God so that we would be robed in his light again. He gave himself to be crucified. He said, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down. He's the one who allowed the Romans to crucify him because he knew that that was the sacrifice that needed to be made to make us right before his father. So good. So I'm gonna flip over to Psalm 22 and there's a word in here that will uh, tie everything in so psalm 22 now you'll recognize this uh on the cross jesus says this particular phrase and i i want to say this i i did some research uh on the the hebrewness of jesus and just trying to get back to the jewish roots of our faith and so it's interesting that uh when rabbis said a phrase at the beginning, like, they would say a certain phrase from a psalm. And that would mean that they want their hearers to think about the entire psalm. So, on the cross, Jesus says, and this is the first verse of Psalm 22, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And what he was doing there was he was bringing back to remembrance Psalm 22 to those standing around the cross so that they would go through the psalm in their head and see what was actually happening right before their eyes. Because Psalm 22, it goes in very detailed fashion about the crucifixion and crucifixion wasn't even created until not that long before Jesus came on the earth. So how did David know this? He knew it by the spirit, but the spirit put this in here so that when he was on the cross, they would see that this was the fulfillment of Psalm 22. Crazy. So (laughs) all that being said, Psalm 22 verse one, it says, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far away when I groan for help? Every day I call to you, my God, but you do not answer. Every night you hear my voice. Verse three, yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. Our ancestors trusted in you and you rescued them. They cried out to you and were saved. They trusted in you and were never disgraced. Here's where I wanted to get to. He says, but I am a worm and not a man. I am scorned and despised by all. I'll read a little bit further down so that you could see the cross in here. Verse 14, it says, uh, My life is poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax melting within me. My strength has dried up like sun-baked clay. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You have laid me in the dust and left me for dead. My enemies surround me like a pack of dogs. An evil gang closes in on me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. My enemies stare at me and gloat. They divide my garments among themselves and throw dice for my clothing. (laughs) This is what happened at the cross, y'all. Like, the mm, Holy Spirit is a genius, (laughs) obviously but in writing what went on at the cross so that we could actually see and feel what he was feeling. Because you can look at the cross and it, it you can be numb to what happened at the cross. But yet here, he's, he's literally saying what he's feeling and what is happening to him. Oh, Holy Spirit, take us. Take us to the cross again. Make it real. Ah, Okay, but I want to focus on verse six. He says, but I am a worm and not a man. And so one day, I just felt led to look up this word worm in the, uh, in the Hebrew, not the Greek, Hebrew. And so here's what I found after doing some digging on this. So that word, worm, is the word caucus ilicus." And this worm is very interesting. It, it is in the Middle East. And so Middle Eastern people would harvest this uh, worm or beetle or whatever kind of bug it is. They would harvest it for its color because the color that it exuded was crimson. And I'll show you what happened to it to, to give off this crimson color they they used it in the tent of meeting in the old testament to color the the curtains and everything in in the tent of meeting they used it in the temple uh, they would use it for clothing in dyeing clothing uh and so the caucus illicus is the the crimson worm is the english uh definition of this uh worm The crimson worm looks more like a grub than a worm. In the life cycle of this worm is where the crimson color is found, and it points to the work of Jesus on the cross. This this is crazy. So when the female crimson worm is ready to lay her eggs, which happens only once in her life, she climbs up a tree or a fence and attaches herself to it. (laughs) With her body attached to the wooden tree, a hard crimson shell forms. It is a shell so hard and so secure to the wood that it can only be removed by tearing apart the body, which could kill the worm. The female worm lays her eggs under her body, under the protective shell. When the larvae hatch, they remain under the, under the mother's protective shell so the baby worms can feed on the living body of the mother worm for three days. After three days, the worm dies and her body excretes a crimson or scarlet dye that stains the wood to which she is attached and her baby worms. She, it stains the baby worms. The baby worms remain crimson colored for their entire lives. Thereby, they are identified as crimson worms. On day four, the tail of the mother worm pulls up into her head, forming a heart-shaped body that is no longer crimson, but is turned into a a snow-white wax that looks like a patch of wool on the tree or fence. It then begins to flake off and drop to the ground, looking like snow. Now, why in the world would I tell you all that? If you're really thinking, you could see Jesus's crucifixion, death, burial, and resurrection in this worm. So, (laughs) just as the mother worm attaches herself to the wood of a tree or fence, Jesus put himself or allowed himself to be nailed to a wooden cross a type of tree, and Jesus willingly allowed the nails to be driven into his hands and feet. However, it wasn't the nails that held him on the cross. It was his desire to fulfill the purpose and plan of God the Father had to redeem man from the earth and from their sin. Just as the mother worm attaching herself to a tree is part of God's design for the worm's life cycle, it was God's plan and design to send his son to be a attached to the tree. Just as a mother worm when crushed excretes a crimson scarlet dye that both covers the baby worms and stains or marks them, Jesus was also bruised and crushed for our iniquities. His scourgings and the nails that were driven into his hands and feet brought forth his crimson scarlet blood that both washes our sins and marks us as his sons. Ah, so good. Just as the baby worm is dependent on the mother worm for the crimson dye to give it life and to mark it, a repentant sinner must depend on the blood of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins to receive new life and to be marked as his own. And just as the baby worms remain underneath the mother's protective shell so that the baby worms can feed on the living body of the mother worm for three days, we can feed upon the broken body and shed blood of the Lamb of God and be nourished in our spirit and have the nutrients to walk out his nature. Guys, when the Shulamite says that he is both dazzling and ruddy, guys, she is making a bold proclamation of the gospel that the bright and shining one, Jesus himself, Yahweh himself, would unveil, would take off his robe of glory and beauty and brightness. He would take it off and he would come down to become one that carries into a body that carries blood, that would carry red and let the creation beat the blood out of him for our sin. He became lower than the dirt. He, the, the worms are below the dirt. He came not into a mansion. He didn't come as a king, per se, but he came as a humble servant who washed feet, who came and was birthed into a manger, a feeding trough. He was wrapped in in, in cloths, strips of cloth, and laid in a manger. And the shepherds came, the lowest of the low came to see him. He would touch tax collectors and sinners and, and people who had infirmities could touch him. He wasn't so far off. He wasn't. He didn't come down in royalty. He came down as a suffering servant and he allowed his creation to beat the blood, the red, out of him so that we could be free and so that we could take on his nature and likeness and be like him. He is dazzling and ruddy. And guys, you can get lost in these two aspects of Jesus all the days of your life. You don't have to be ho-hum about it. Let Holy Spirit open your eyes to see him as both dazzling in his holiness in his righteousness, in his majesty, in his grandness, in his vastness, in how big Yahweh is and how beautiful and majestic and merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in unfailing love and faithfulness. And yet let your mind go to where he became like us and live this life. Meditate upon the cross meditate upon him walking this earth just like we have it's endless guys he is an endless ocean for us to be raptured up into He is beautiful and i just wanted to tell you about him today so let's pray i pray the holy spirit opens your eyes to the beauty of jesus jesus we so thank you that you are dazzling and you are ruddy your brightness extreme and as eric gilmore says you're a bleeding dream thank you for the cross jesus thank you that you took off your robes of beauty and glory and you came to become like me and you and and the listeners jesus we so thank you for your presence I ask that your presence would rush into each and every room, God, where this video is being played or this podcast is being played. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would touch your people. We love you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Love you guys.